Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. Uh, Before we get started, I do want to um, acknowledge that Colleen is here, and we are so glad to see her. The last time I saw her, she was in the hospital and battling cancer, and she still has uh, ways to go. You had chemotherapy recently, right? Yeah, eight more to go, so we want to continue praying for her. Um, My mom is not here this morning because she is in a lot of pain. She's not able to walk. They start the clinicals, uh, well, they're doing a biopsy tomorrow, and then they're supposed to start the clinicals the next week. But we've got to find out what's going on with her feet, why she can't walk. She's just in a lot of pain. And so uh, covet your prayer for her as well. This morning, we are concluding our Wisdom 2.0 series, right? This is everything changes from here. Now, this has been a journey that we've been going through, and I hope it's been helpful to you and trying to go through how we deal with life, how we look at scripture. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about raising children, keeping the Sabbath, painting Gotham City. That's right. I said Gotham City, a wedding invitation and quitting. Okay. As we conclude this series, we've looked at the diversity that takes place in wisdom. We saw in the Proverbs that we are told that we are to answer or not to answer a fool according to his folly. Otherwise, we become fools ourselves. But then the next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly. Otherwise, he'll get away with it. And we saw in these two verses the opposite, and they're opposite intentionally, that life happens in between these kinds of things. And a lot of times we want just a black and white answer. We want simplicity, but life is not simple, right? Raising children is not an easy thing. And I know that growing up, I was told, you know, here's how you raise children. And I've been given scripture. I'm sure you have too. You know, train your child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Yes, amen. But wait, I got questions, okay? Like train, what, what does that mean to train? What does it look like? What's the right way to train? Do they have to sit up straight? Do they have to wash their hands before dinner? Like what are we talking about? What are all the different ways of training and what it looks like? Should they not listen to rock music? 
What about classic rock? Is classic rock okay, but not punk rock? Or, or not rap, right? Well, what about Christian rap? What about these kinds of things? Should they play travel soccer? Little League. Little League and travel. I mean, how do you train your child? There are so many questions that come up. And what does it mean, practically speaking, will not stray? Is a little youthful boundary exploration not healthy? And how far does that go where it becomes straying and become problematic? You see, I I would hear these scriptures and I would say yes as if they were so clear. But then when I start raising my kids, I start wondering, how do you deal with this situation? How do I deal with that situation? And my tendency was to just restrict everything, man, right? We just try and make this as sterile as possible. Don't do anything. And you will be okay, right? I mean, that comes down to that. But yeah, how does that work for your kids, right? Yeah, okay, sure, dad. I'll do nothing and then I'll go out the window and do whatever I want, right? It's like, how does these things work? Now, maybe your kids didn't go out the window. Okay, some of you were good, but the rest of us, these things aren't that easy. And even the laws of scripture. You know, you would think laws are cut clear and dry, but they're really not. And in all these things, it requires wisdom. Think about Sabbath. You are to keep the, remember the Sabbath and observe it to keep it holy. Well, what does that mean? It means rest or cease from work, right? You're supposed to stop working. Well, what equates work now, right? And so they had the Mishnah, all these laws that they saw was work. What if you're a doctor? What if you're a policeman? What if you're a fireman? Do you still have to work to save lives? And then Jesus comes along, right? And he says the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he turns the whole thing on its head, right? The Sabbath isn't here to govern you. It's here to serve you. And now we got to think about things all differently. And to do these things, even what Jesus is bringing into that picture, is you need to have wisdom. You need to engage. You need to inquire, The whole idea, again, of Proverbs of being prudent is being nuanced. It's looking into the minute detail. It's examining things. The idea of the simple are the people who just try to make things easy. And when we try to take life and even use Scripture to make it easy, usually we find that we're not being wise. And so we have to start changing how we engage life and allow wisdom to be an important part of these things. We have started kind of developing then this wisdom 2.0 where we move from just a conventional wisdom to kind of an unconventional wisdom, an alternative or what I've called a gospel wisdom. What does wisdom look like from Jesus' perspective. And we talked about starting with nothing in the conversion of Saul. We talked about weak is the new strong, how God uses the weak things to confound the wise. We talked about an unfair generosity that is part of God's nature. And there's something that is motivating all these things. We see that God isn't playing the same game that we are. That game to struggle, to get, to have, to hold, to be empowered. We see something else taking place. You know, when you 
are going to paint something, whether it's a room, whether it's a desk, if it's metal and there's rust on it, you have to sand it down. If it's a dark color, I just painted a room in our house that was like a dark hunter's green and we painted a light color and one coat isn't going to cover it. And if you spackle it, you've got to prime it. You've got to prepare. You've got to put a foundational coat underneath so that the other coat will last. And really, wisdom is the foundation that God is starting from. And we've talked about this before. And I, I need to start here again because it's important that we remember this. In Proverbs verses or chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, it says, I, wisdom, was with the Lord when he began his work. Long before he made everything else, I was created in the very beginning, even before the world began. He goes on and he says he was before the oceans, before the hills, before the fields, before the skies. And it's very reminiscent of Colossians chapter 1, where it talks about the preeminence of Christ. And verse 30 says, I was like a child by his side. I was delighted every day, enjoying his presence all the time, enjoying the whole world and delighted with all his people. And so we see wisdom is baked into creation. It is part of creation. It is part of the foundation that God created all these things. And so it's important that we have an understanding of this that it's not incidental, that it is very much central in how we are going to live our lives. The message translation in Colossians chapter 2, I love this. It says, I want you, that's us, woven into the tapestry of love. Man, can we just stop there and embrace that? It's like, oh God, that's just beautiful. I want you woven into the tapestry of love and touch with everything there is to know of God. Let that sink in. How is that going to happen in any one lifetime? How are you ever going to stop learning everything there is to know about God? I had a friend of mine who posted something on Facebook or Instagram, one of those things, and they said something like, when I was young and I saw people who were 30, I thought they had it all together. And now I found out that, man, I still don't know what I'm doing, right? And I just told them it never changes, right? Life is a mystery that we're endlessly discovering. How can we ever know everything there is to know about God? We have to pursue it. Then you will have minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ, God's great mystery. All the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery. What mystery? In Christ and nowhere else. And we spoke about what Christ is, right? Christ is more than just a person. Jesus is the Christ, but the Christ represents more than just Jesus. Just like you might say a person is the president, but that office is more than just that person. And it's important that we lean into that because there is something to be gained here and understood. Wisdom is at the foundation of creation. And so now the mystery of God, Christ, is going to, again, impart to us some understanding. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to read from verses 38 to 42. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to jump around in Matthew a bit. 
Verse 38 it says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign. But none of you will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. They're asking Jesus for a sign. What do they mean? What do they want? They want him to prove that he's who he says he is. They want him to prove that he is going to bring, actually what they want is, they want him to prove that he is going to bring the power back to Israel. You see, their idea of a sign wasn't just the miraculous, it was the empowering. And we know this because so many times, even in this chapter alone, Jesus heals a man, he stretches out his hand, but it's on the Sabbath, and they're trying to kill him. Right, He delivers somebody from demons and they're, he's having to leave because they're trying to pursue him and kill him. And throughout Jesus' work, there is this conflict with wanting a sign, some kind of proof that he is going to give them what they want. And he says here, no, that's not going to happen. A wicked, adulterous generation. A generation that does not really want what God wants. That's what it means by an adulteress. An unfaithful to God generation seeks a sign because you're seeking something other than what God wants. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus came down from the mountain. Large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, said Jesus, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, right? See that you don't tell anyone, But go, show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Curious. He heals a disease that's impossible to cure at this time. And then he tells the guy, don't tell anybody. This is terrible PR. Right? If you are wanting to get the word out that you are the Messiah, this is a great way to do it. You just healed someone of leprosy. But he tells them, don't tell anyone. He said, he says, just give an offering of gratitude to God. What is going on here? Why would he say that? Now, in the next chapter, chapter 9, verses 27 through 31, another instance of what we would call a sign, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. 
When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked him, do you, he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. This is a sign. Don't tell anyone. And he tells them sternly. He doesn't just say, hey, guys, don't don't spread this. He says, don't tell anyone. I imagine they said, okay, okay. And then they go and they tell everybody, right? Isn't it the point that everyone know? Isn't it the point that everybody understand that you have this power? You see, isn't conventional wisdom telling us that the best way to spread the good news is to promote this? Isn't conventional wisdom that the more likes you have on Instagram, the more people like you? Isn't conventional wisdom trying to promote this so that more people can know? What is going on here? Jesus gives a little explanation in Matthew chapter 11. He says, to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. See, can any sign actually satisfy you? Can it please you? Can anything live up to those expectations that they had for him? Can anything they do disarm their prejudice? What is the purpose of a sign? Is it to give direction? Could it be that these miraculous signs were pointing them in the wrong direction? That if they pursued this in itself, that they would miss the point, they would miss the off-ramp, that they would miss the place that they were actually supposed to go and go to the wrong destination. You see, here's the thing about signs is they're all temporary and they have no long-term change. He heals a person, they still might get sick later on. He heals or raises Lazarus from the dead, and Lazarus is going to die again. He feeds 5,000, and these 5,000 people are going to have to eat again. You see, all miracles in this sense, all these signs are temporary. 
And people are wanting something that is temporary. They're saying, give us a sign. Give us something that will feed us now. Give us something that I can hold on now. Give us something that I want now. And the whole idea is these signs that they're wanting aren't leading them to the change that needs to take place within them. They're not changing them. You see, wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Not by the miracles, but by the acts that lead from them that take place from that. You know, the thing with Gotham City, yeah, that was a transition, right, from Jesus to Gotham City. But follow me here. The thing with Gotham City is it doesn't matter how many bad guys Batman catches, the city always ends up turning on him because there's always another bad guy that he didn't catch, Right, and he he did the work here, he did this here, but what about the Joker? And what about this guy? And what about this guy? And so it doesn't matter how much Batman does, he can never satisfy Gotham City. He, he can never change those things, right? You might have a moment of justice, but he can't fix the entire system that creates the conditions where the people do what they do. And so it always ends up that they turn on him because he just can't do enough. And the signs they were wanting just would not do enough for what they really need. You know, if you get a pay raise, it's like, man, this is great. I got a pay raise. But don't we just change our standard of living so that we end up with just as little money as we had before? Right? It's like, oh boy, I got a pay raise. All right. And then, well, I need a new car. Do you? Yeah, I do. This one's rusted. And you were fine with it when you didn't have the pay raise. But now that you have the opportunity to get the new car, you need it, right? I always tell my grandkids, need is such a strong word, right? Grandpa, I need this. And that's such a strong word. Really? You need it? How have you lived without it for all these years, right? No, we adjust our lives accordingly, right? We need a pool. We need a room addition, And to get their attention, you know, to get the attention and approval, it seems like we always have to do more. We have to get more. The sign gives momentary validation, and then the ego loves it, but tomorrow I need another sign. I remember a few years ago there was a, a young man who came to Genesis and he came up to me one Sunday after our gathering and he says, man, I really like your teachings. Man, when I get married, I want you to do my wedding. And I got to tell you, that made me feel really good. I was like, yeah, okay. This guy likes, I'm, I'm connecting with young people. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I'm, he wants me to do his wedding when he gets older. You know, he was just out of high school And I thought, oh, this is cool. He wasn't dating anyone. I go, maybe he'd work on that first. But anyway, I thought, this is so cool. And I felt so good. The next week, I'm telling you, it was the next Sunday. He came up and he says, yeah, I'm going to be going to another church with some friends of mine. But I still want you to do my wedding when I get married. And I was just like, oh, yeah. I'm telling you, my ego took a dive. It's like, oh, man, you really like me, but not enough to stay here. Not enough to keep you here. You see, 
The ego is always wanting more, always wanting things. And from one week to the next, things change. And I can give a great talk this week, but next week you all might leave. Except my mom. Uh, (laughs) I shouldn't say that. You see, we played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We played a dirge you didn't mourn. Nothing we do seems to satisfy you. John came neither eating or drinking. They say he has a demon. The son of man comes eating and drinking. They say he's a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Didn't matter what was happening. They didn't want to change. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Love that wisdom is a woman again. Wisdom is proved right by her deeds. She is going to do the things that bring about the change. It might not be easy, it might be nuanced. But this is the mic drop moment. Wisdom is going to be proved right by her deeds. You mean wisdom isn't about having the right information? You mean wisdom isn't about being in charge and able to have control? Wisdom isn't about winning the arguments? I I settled that score. Wisdom isn't about getting the things that you want? Wisdom is actually proven by her deeds. In other words, time is going to tell if there is ongoing change or not. So what are the deeds? Jesus said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Notice that there is no mention of resurrection here. I have been told, and I can't remember who told it to me, but someone told me somewhere in my past that whenever you see crucifixion, you always see resurrection. That the crucifixion is never mentioned without the resurrection, but that's not true. There are a number of places where it just talks about Christ and him crucified. The sign isn't that Jesus will rise again. The sign is actually that Jesus will die and be buried. How? What sign is this? N.T. Wright in his book, The Day the Revolution Began, writes this. As Jesus' followers looked back on that day, the day of the crucifixion, in the light of what happened soon afterward, they came up with the shocking, scandalous, nonsensical claim that his death had launched a revolution, that something had happened that afternoon that had changed the world, that by six o'clock on that dark Friday evening, the world was a different place. Nonsensical or not, they were proven right. Wisdom 
will be proven by her deeds. Whether we believe in Jesus, whether we approve of his teachings, let alone whether we like the look and the movement that still claims to follow him, we are bound to see his crucifixion as one of the pivotal moments in human history. Like the assassination of Julius Caesar around 70 years earlier, it marks the end of one era and the start of another. And Jesus' first followers saw it as something more. They saw it as the vital moment, not just in human history, but in the entire story of God and the world. You want a sign, here it is, like Jonah. Three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, the son of man is going to spend three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. Something's taking place here. Something's going on. There is wisdom here being done that is going to prove itself by the deeds that would follow. But it's not like the wisdom we're used to. It's not like what power looks like. It's not how we would do things. But it's how God is doing things. You know, I've only quit one job in my life. And it was at a bakery. And... I would go there after school and I would clean the pots and pans. And then, you know, the modernization came in and we got a big washer for all the pans. And so what happened is I come to work the next day and there's this huge monster of a machine there. And I'm told, oh, you're supposed to use this machine to wash the pans now. And I'm like, okay, and well, how does it work? And so I have this little written out note of instructions. You put the pans in and it's real obvious how they go in. And then you take one bucket of soap and you put the soap into the washer. And then you press the green button. It'll go through the cycle. And then you take them out and stack them. I said, it's easy enough. I follow the instructions to the T. I put the pans in. I get a bucket of soap. I Take it, I put it in the pan, and I press the green button, and I'm like, my job just got easier. I go and I start talking to the girls at the front counter just because I've got time now. I'm washing pans while I'm working. And all of a sudden, I come into the back room, and there is soap flooding out of the machine. It's like an I Love Lucy episode. I mean, I walk into, and I'm like hip deep in soap, and I'm like, What's going on here, right? And I'm opening up and there's just suds flowing everywhere. And I'm like, oh no. And I'm trying to scoop them all into the drain and I'm taking them out the back door. And it was just, it had to be fun to watch, right? So finally I call the owner and I tell him, Mr. Shrank, the machine, it's overflowing with soap. It's just going everywhere. And he goes, what's going on? I go, well, I, I just put the soap in like you said. And he goes, hold on, let me, let me call the manufacturer and see what's going on. Because I tried running it multiple times. Soap just kept coming out, kept coming out. Finally, he says, okay, you got to unscrew this. You got to drain all the water and then you got to let it run through and go through again. And like, okay, I'm doing that. So I'm letting water and I'm doing this. And then he calls me back and he goes, what happened? I said, I did everything like you said. I followed the instructions. I did this. I put the bucket of soap in there and he goes, what soap did you use? It's like the soap that I always use. It's the soap, right? And he goes, no, there is a special soap that you're supposed to use. That soap is highly concentrated. And then he started to cuss me out. 
He started telling me how dare blah, blah, I can't go into all he said, right? He just started going up and down. And I just finally was like, I followed your instructions. Now you're going to cuss me out. And I just told him, Mr. Shrank, I quit. And I hung up and I walked out the room and I took my apron and I dramatically threw it on the floor and said goodbye to everyone. And I did clean up, but I left. I quit. I had enough of your cussing me out. I'm a dishwasher, for goodness sake. I don't need to take you yelling at me for something you didn't instruct me for. I'm not going to put up with this. You see, Jesus going to the cross and dying, he's not playing the game. I'm not going to do this, strive to get ahead, try and make myself known. I'm not going to live to your standards of what you want. You want a sign, here's a sign. I am quitting your system, quitting your game. It is not the game I'm playing. You're in the wrong arena. You don't realize it, but this is what it's about. It's about sacrifice, not getting. It's about loving, not trying to overpower others. It's about sacrificial giving. You want to know what the game is like? You want to know how you win? This is how. Go to the cross and die. There isn't even talk about resurrection. You see, we first have to deal with this. If anyone will come after me, let him pick up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. It starts there. You want wisdom? This is what wisdom from God looks like. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like generous love. It looks like caring for those that no one else will care about. doesn't matter what you do you're not going to please the people who want power but you will win the hearts of people when you love you know black holes are interesting there is so much gravity that no matter or radiance is able to come out of it it just pulls everything in And I see the wisdom and love of God doing just that. Everything that it encounters, it affects. Except those who don't want to give up the ego. Those who want to hold on and empower themselves and rule over others, they will fight it and they will fight it, but they will lose. The meek will inherit the earth. It is going to happen. It won't happen in my lifetime. I'm not foolish enough to think that, but I am going to try and make it happen a little bit more. I am going to do what I can to make it happen a little bit more for the people I'm around. I want the love of God to just pull in and be irresistible. Wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Here is the deed. Three days, three nights in the belly of the earth. So Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 13. So no matter what I say, what I believe and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. 
Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others and is not self-seeking. It doesn't fly off the handle or keep score of the wrongs of others. It does not revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes. It never looks back, but keeps going to the very end. Love never fails. This is the wisdom of God, sacrificial love. This is what it all comes to. Everything changes from here. This is able to change the world we live in. May we pursue the wisdom of God. May we count the cost and be wise. Let's pray. Father, it is easier said than done to love and to live like you. It is contrary to what we see, what we hear, and even what we want. But there is something divine in your sacrifice that is able to change our hearts. There is a touch that happens in our lives by your love that changes everything. And God, I pray for us here as a community that are following after you, wanting to to change humanity, wanting to be the change in our world. Lord, it it starts here. It, It starts with your example of love. It starts with your sacrifice. It starts with us quitting this game of trying to be enough for others. It comes with too great a cost and it leads us in the wrong direction. So I pray, God, you would help us to be wise in how we live and how we look at the world around us, how we see and engage with Scripture, how we represent you. If we do not represent you in this way of picking up a cross, loving like you love, Lord, we're going the wrong way. No matter what we learn, no matter what we say, no matter what knowledge we have, if it does not look like this, it will accomplish nothing. That wisdom is proven by her deeds. May that be our anthem, God. And may everything change from here. May our lives be found rich, in you as you emptied yourself and became poor so that we could be rich may we do the same we ask in Jesus name amen let's stand together may you seek the right sign may you follow Jesus and 
not the ways around us that don't look like him. May wisdom be found in her deeds in you. God bless you guys. Have a great week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.